Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Next month in November, Jem and I will be giving a management workshop at Front End Masters. Jem has so kindly pulled me into this. He's always been bugging me like you should do a workshop. And, and he's right. I, I do want to do this, but I actually have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, I've never given a workshop. And so I'm really excited for today's episode. We have Josh on who's definitely a pro at giving workshops, um, has done a lot with React, various various things that he's taught online. Uh, so we have him to help us here. And Jem is a pro at it as well. He's done many front-end masters. So I'm pretty much here to learn today, and I'm really excited for it. Before we dive in, Josh, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yeah. Well, first, thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute delight to be here. My name is Josh. I am a software developer located in Montreal, up in Canada. I've uh, been, depending on how you count, doing this either since like 2007 when I first started tinkering or like 2014 when I got my first actual job doing it. In 2020, uh, I left my job as a software developer for Gatsby Inc. to uh, pursue developer education. So I've been creating online courses ever since. I've also taught locally at a coding bootcamp here in Montreal called Concordia Bootcamps. Um, so quite a bit of experience doing that beforehand. Uh, and quite a few years now. Remarkably, the time flies. Uh, I've been doing this now full-time for three years. And drinks, right. Beverage. Um, I have, I'm drinking a Perrier Energize, which is a sparkling water with uh, yerba mate added, which uh, is surprisingly caffeinated. Like, there's 140 milligrams of caffeine in it, so pretty good. So I'm excited for your energy level. It's already at a good level. It's like, it's just going to keep going up. That's, that's exciting. Um, it's also, also great having a fellow Canadian on. I should have even said that right at the start, but right. it's awesome. Yeah. It's great to have you on. We've all met at various conferences, uh, over the years. And so it's, it's really great having you on Josh. Jem, I guess it's, it's you and I for panelists. Jem, you want to give your intro and I'll give mine. We'll dive in. Yeah, Jem Young, uh, engineering manager at Netflix, and I've I've taught a few courses over the years uh, on front end masters and in person too. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. I, I have probably taught some things, but just not really the online workshop or course. Been fully dedicated. So yeah, lots to learn, which I'm excited for. And in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that, if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Teaching. Teaching. Yeah, I'm sure that's yep. not co not coming up in this episode. Um, <laughs> not at all. I mean, let's start off. How, how do you even go about picking a topic for creating a course or workshop? Yeah. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, when I, uh, goodness, how much backstory do I want to give? When I started uh, getting more involved in the like develop developer community, maybe like 2015, when I joined Twitter, I saw folks like uh, West Boss creating these online courses, and I thought, well, that's cool. That's a fun way to, you know, uh, use your developer edge, like skills, uh, have like a really big impact. And in the back of my mind, it was like, I want to do that one day. That seems like it'd be a lot of fun. But you know, I had a job, and I got, I continued getting jobs and pursuing the uh, IC track. And in 2020, I, I, uh, ironically enough, in physiotherapy. Uh, for I was playing Beat Saber and I hurt my shoulder, so I was in physiotherapy. And the exercises my physiotherapist gave me led me to pull a nerve, and that led to several months where I couldn't really use a mouse or keyboard. <laughs> so, like, I found myself all of a sudden actually like uh, struggling to do the day-to-day -day work of a developer. And uh, it's a little bit uh, morbid, but it, I had this moment of realization that like every one of us, we can imagine a number floating above our heads which is the number of keystrokes we have left in our life. And every time you press a key on your keyboard, <laughs> that number goes down by one. Uh, hopefully it's a very large number, but there's only so many of them. And so the realization was like, goodness, I should be using this resource uh, wisely. Like, and I was satisfied with the work I was doing, which isn't to demean the work, you know, I've done a lot of, like I worked at Khan Academy for a while and I'm really happy with the work that I did there um, among other companies as well. But I wanted to do my own thing. I thought it'd be a lot of fun. So I left my job. Uh, I started building a course. I, actually, I built most of my course platform using a microphone and eye tracker as the input mechanisms instead of a keyboard and mouse, which is really interesting and something that uh, isn't on topic. But <laughs> I do have a blog post called Coding by Voice. So if you Google Josh Coding by Voice, you'll find that and see how that works. Um, but yeah, 
<laughs> I've gotten so off topic. The question was, how do you choose a topic? Um, the way that I did it was I thought, okay, I have a bunch of skills that I know how to teach. The, I, I literally did like a list, like a pro-con list. And what I eventually settled on was CSS because I figured it would be the thing that uh, I knew how to teach. That was important. Uh, that a lot of developers that I knew struggled with like essentially the largest impact for the smallest amount of work. Like if I spend two hours with somebody, I can really get them to be a lot more comfortable with CSS compared to like JavaScript or React. I mean, they've already invested so much in like so many of us just learn CSS incidentally. You pick it up as you go along. Uh, and I was delighted to see, by the way, that Eric Meyer was on uh, a recent episode because he's one of my personal heroes. So that, that was fun. Uh, it's cool to see CSS getting some more of the spotlight. But yeah, for me, it was just a matter of how, what can I teach that would have the most impact. I like that a lot. Jem, how have you chosen topics? Uh, di different different path a, a little bit. Uh, I was not stuck in a, in a hospital and thinking about my own mortality like Josh does. <laughs> uh, but mine, uh, I think probably the one of the courses I'm most known, known for is the uh, full stack for front end. And that's just something over the years, I have the natural uh, proclivity towards the back end, even though I, I do like JavaScript, I do like UI, I've always leaned towards like platform, server, how infrastructure works. I think that's fascinating. I still do. Uh, so probably over the years, you'll see me descend slower and slower into the, the server realm and platform. But in all my explorations over the years and talking to UI developers, I, I noticed that there wasn't a strong understanding of about what happens past the UI. So it's like the data comes from somewhere, that's usually where most people stop. Uh, they're like, oh yeah, here's the API. I'm like, oh, you know, you can change the API. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's just, it's just an interface, just like anything else. And they're like, oh, I, well, that's a different team that does that. I'm like, why? You could do that too. Uh, mm. So it was just over the years, I'm like, people don't know this stuff. And to me, to be a, uh, a well-rounded engineer, especially a, a well-rounded uh, front-end engineer, you should know how these systems work. You don't have to be experts at it. But when someone's when uh, someone's talking about like Nginx or how load balancers work, you should probably have some sort of understanding of like what they're talking about. Just to, and it helps you be a better developer. So that's why I came up with the full stack for front end course. It was just I just want to educate people on how the whole thing works, how to how uh, kind of how the web works, how the internet works, how servers work, and give you a brief taste of it so that you know maybe you don't want to do UI development forever. And you get a taste of everything like database administration and security uh, and how to create your own server and all, all these things that seem like really, really daunting. And I covered it in like a couple of days and people are like, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I feel better. This isn't, I'm not really interested in this anymore. Or like, this isn't where I want to go. I still like UI development, but at least I know what other people are talking about. I feel more confident in my day-to-day -day job. And that was my my inspiration. What Why I keep doing it is... Um, it keeps me fresh too. That's probably the second part is I teach courses on things that I want to know and I, I want to make sure that I know because the, the surest way to learn something is to have to teach it to somebody else because you yeah. don't know what they're going to ask you. So you have to like round off all this extra knowledge. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of a cheat code for learning things. The same for giving a presentation. When I sometimes I'll write a, a proposal for a presentation on a topic I don't know much about. But I want to, and I know that the pressure of having to give a presentation will force me to learn it. So I don't know. I could probably be more organized about my life and learning like Josh. But uh, yeah, th those are some of the reasons why I, I teach courses. I've, I've heard that referred to as conference-driven development, which I think is just great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that one, Jem has said that many times, and that one has always resonated with me. Or, or not resonated, I think it's like inspired me in a way where... I always thought like, I have to know this, right? I have to know the topic really well in order for me to speak on it. But I, I really love that is like, yeah, you do learn a lot having to feel the pressure to like share this knowledge with others. I think for me, like even when I've taught or spoken at a conference, it's often leaned more to what am I passionate about? What do I feel like I can like share my perspective on? But I think Jem has shared that with me many years ago. And it's like something that stuck out to me where I'm like, yeah, that's that is a really good way to actually like forcing function to learn. That was actually why I started teaching at a local coding boot camp. Uh, well, part of the reason uh, was uh because I, I had noticed that myself, like you'll be with a coworker, like someone will ask me a question, like what's the difference between a statement and an expression? And I know it, I've been working with both of those things. And so you open your mouth 
And it's like, oh, <laughs> actually, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I have some sort of uh, broad intuition that I've developed from years of using the language. But in terms of like how this actually works at a deeper level, like you discover these pockets of like you've you've worked around these gaps in your knowledge. And now like, oh, I can fill those gaps in now because people who are learning have a knack at asking you at finding those holes for you. Uh, and exposing them. I love that you said that. Like, I even struggle sometimes with like acronyms, right? Like someone will like ask you, like, what's the acronym? Like, what do the words <laughs> in it stand for? And I'm like, I can explain what it is, but I'm like, don't ask me what the like actual acronym makes up. <laughs> Quick, what is a REST API? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're like, uh, I don't know. I know what it is. I know how to use it. Like, I can explain all that, but you're like, yeah, what is those like that? It's so funny how that works too. So like, I love that you said that. Plus, plus wanting both of what you're you're saying uh there's so many holes in my knowledge that if you ask me to explain them i would struggle even though i know how to use it i know what it is but uh, i think for a lot of javascript engineers hoisting or is is mm. one of those that you're like explain that really simply and they're like yeah but the thing and then the the variable moves to the top and if it could be under <laughs> and like it's really it's hard to explain it really simply which yep. it, to me and this is just i'm speaking for myself means like i don't understand it well enough um, and it's one of the hardest things to do is explain something really, really simply because that actually requires so much knowledge to break it down this, to like the simplest possible component. And that all goes into like teaching a workshop. Uh, so when you see a concept taught really well, it just means the instructor just really knows what they're talking about. I also like when people have really good analogies too. Sometimes it analogy cannot land and you're like, ah, eh, you, you force that. But sometimes when someone can really tie it back to an analogy that really resonates with people, that can, can go a long way too. And it's, it is like that, like, how do you break down a concept so people can truly understand it? That's, that's hard. Like that is, even though you probably do like, understand how to use it or write that code whatever it is but it's it's just hard to explain and so i think that's a whole skill set oh yeah for sure my, my sister called me on this the other day i was um my oldest sister she's a lawyer uh and i was telling her what i do at netflix and i was like oh yeah i lead a platform team she's like what's a platform and i'm like oh well it's it's a thing and people build on top of it she's like i don't really understand um and i was like Man, she called me on it. Like, I know what I do, <laughs> but I, I struggled to break it down. And I don't know. I, I like that sort of thinking because it really challenges you to, to break things down to like the first principles of what are you doing, why, and make it really, really simple, which is really hard. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a, it, to me, it's a great way of pushing yourself. All right. So you have a workshop or course created or you're in the midst of creating it how do you decide like how and where to host it like i think that's a big you know that's a barrier too is like you know it's one thing to hit record on your camera but like how do you actually distribute it and think about that yeah so uh for myself i have this um this fundamental idea that uh learning is active and if you really want to learn something, it's not enough to listen to someone talk about it. You have to actually do it. And you can absolutely encourage people to do that through video. But what I wanted to do was essentially build a platform that would have that interactivity baked in. Um, and granted, like I uh, left my job and uh, was incredibly privileged in that I had like maybe two years of savings that I had banked. So I knew that like the this was during the pandemic too. So there was a lot of uncertainty, but I figured like the worst case was that I would work on this thing for three, four months, uh, release the course, either it would go well or it wouldn't. And then I could find another job. And in fact, it took many, many times longer than I thought it would take to, to build the course. But um, I built my own course platform. Uh, and that was uh, something I was able to do because I was doing it as my full-time job. Like I could just build, you know, build a whole application to deliver the course. Um, because yeah, I do think it's so important to uh, have that interactivity and you can absolutely, uh, so like, I think, uh, you know, if you want to use an off the shelf course platform, uh, something like Teachable or Podia, Podia, I never know how to pronounce that. Uh, you can, it's just going to be a little bit more challenging in terms of like, how do you actually get the student to do the thing? Because <laughs> it's so much uh, easier to like, uh, just, and I noticed it myself too, right? Like, I would much rather just like sit back and like listen to someone speak about something for half an hour than like, okay, I guess I'll do the exercise. I guess, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's our nature to uh, be more passive. And I do think you need both. Like if your course is entirely active, then you will exhaust and burn out your poor learner. Um, but yeah, definitely I, that was top of mind for myself. So when it came to like where I was going to host this, it's like, well, 
the only way I can really deliver the experience I want is if I build it myself, which I think is ultimately an excuse. <laughs> like, I just like building things. Um, but it is true that like I, I can do, it can be the exact experience I have in mind. I don't have to compromise. I don't have to find some service that can like embed a code pen and deal with the limitations of that. I like that. Yeah. And I, I kind of figured it was a nice excuse to build something too, because we all like love doing that. <laughs> like it's great. But then you also have that control and you can like really build a proper ecosystem around what your users of your course want too. I think that's kind of cool too. You just have a lot more freedom there. Obviously a lot more responsibility though, but it, it's still very cool that that's the approach that you took, which also led me to a question you had mentioned, like it took longer than you expected. How long does it actually take to put together a workshop? This is what scares me the most, right? Like this is coming up in November for Gemini and I'm like, I've done a little work, but not a ton. And I'm worried about the time investment. That's always been my biggest concern. So I think actually first, I think it's worth distinguishing between workshops and courses. And I think that there's, it's not a binary. It's like a spectrum. Like there's a whole bunch of different ways to teach development. In my mind, a workshop is like a synchronous thing, whether in person or remote, where like we have an afternoon, a day, a week where like, uh, the instructor will lead the group in doing something. Um, this is sort of like what a bootcamp is. Like a bootcamp is really just like a months long or weeks long workshop. Uh, a course, at least the way that I'm defining this, is like a self-paced act. Like it's, you know, I create the content ahead of time and then students go through it at, the, at their own pace. Um, there is, of course, interactive elements. Like we have a community, people can ask questions, I'm available. But uh, that's the fundamental difference that I see it. For workshops, I actually don't have that much experience. I've done a couple of them at conferences. And for those, I probably spent a couple of months of part-time work preparing and discovered it was woefully insufficient, but it was actually kind of okay. Um, the thing that I've learned is that creating a self-paced course is a lot more time intensive because like, if you mess up the consequence, like, if your workshop materials are unclear, then the person will raise their hand and they'll say, excuse me, like, what do you mean by this? And you'll say, oh, this is how I should have done that. And that student is solved. And if you repeat the workshop, you can change it for that time. A self-paced course, you're not there. <laughs> so like, you really want to, and this is the, 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 the highest praise I can get. And I've gotten it a handful of times and I can remember those specifically is when someone said, I had a question and the next paragraph answered it. Like when you anticipate the question that's coming, because and the only way to do that, in my experience, is to go through many, many, many rounds of testing. So like with my courses, I start with, I try not to record videos, but sometimes you kind of have to. Um, so I'll have a bunch of written content, some interactive content, but that also takes a lot longer to build. And I'll have like 50 to 100 people go through it, um, send me all their questions. I'll like redo it based on those questions, get a new group, do it again. Um, with both of my courses, and actually, uh, I think this is a detour, a small detour, but will help contextualize. Um, with my first course, the goal was to do it in three or four months. I figure I'm doing this full time. Granted, I did have that liability, which was that I couldn't type. So, uh, coding by voice definitely slowed me down a little bit, but I figured I'm doing this full time. I can build the platform. I can release the course. Those three to four months passed. And I was like halfway through the platform and hadn't started the content yet. <laughs> so, uh, I told myself, okay, I'm giving myself six months from that point. So it would have been like nine or 10 months total. And at that point, I will either finish the course or I will release whatever exists. And that time came and I had finished half of the content. So I decided I'm going to do an early access launch. And so I, and I was doing the content in order. So that course had 10 modules, five of them had been completed. So I released it. Um, and to my incredible uh, surprise and gratitude, thousands of people purchased the course. Um, and those thousands of people are now test users because I released it in beta. Um, to date, my courses have gotten something like 7,000 pieces of written feedback, and I have read each one. Um, and so <laughs> that is a very good way. And granted, like what you discover is that everybody has uh, their like pet thing. Like apparently I say the word essentially a lot. And so one person, like every lesson, they're like, you said essentially seven times in this lesson and 11 times in this one. Um, some people will object if you spell I forget which is technically correct when you have a number, if you're supposed to use the number or the spelled out, like whether you use the numeral two or T-W-O, but people will point out things like that. So you get a lot of feedback that is, um, to put it charitably, like not critical to the impact that I'm trying to have. But you also get a lot of feedback where like people will just, they don't understand something. 
And when you see the same thing come up a, a couple of times, then you really know that like, oh, there's, uh, there's some work that has to be done here. Uh, and that's how I think you get to that point of getting the, the, the comment of like, oh, you anticipated my question. Uh, it's, I didn't. It's that a bunch of people before you asked it. <laughs> so I knew to go in and add the answer at that point. But yeah, so for self-paced content, I think it can take quite a long time. For live content, you can be a little bit more lax because you're going to be there. So if the content isn't perfectly clear, you can clarify it. I also really like the iterative approach you took, like where it is like testing and learning and iterating on it. Like it's, I, I love that approach. Like, so you are learning that um, on the fly and, and just improving it along as you go. But I also love that you are like, even just that like nitpick, it's nitpicky feedback that you're getting, right? Like the two versus the like written two. That's kind of cool though, too, because it's, those are sometimes those questions that you kind of are like, which one do I use? And if someone's happy to tell you, you're like, great, I, that's something you <laughs> learn right then and there. That's true. Yeah. Although it doesn't, it probably looks bad that I don't remember which is the correct one, <laughs> but one of them is correct. You know what? There's times like my spelling is horrible or there I've done the wrong grammar and it's like, you, you know what? It's like, yeah, make the mistake. And that's how you actually remember and learn it. I love Grammarly for that because it will tell me and I'm like, mm. oh yeah, that, yeah, I probably should have wrote that better. <laughs> Josh, you've, you've spoken to this a little bit. You've talked a little bit about the particular formats for sharing content. Like we've talked about video, we've talked about interactive. Um, what, what do you find is the best way to deliver a course for someone to learn? Especially at a scale, right? Like you're not, everyone learns differently. And so, you know, how do you get like something that works for everybody? Yeah. So the first thing is to accept that it will never work for everybody. Like the same course, uh, I think I'm doing well if roughly this, because, you know, I have a refund policy that's very flexible. If you don't like the course for any reason in 30 days, you can return it. And my goal is to get as many people telling me that the course is too easy as people telling me that the course is too hard. I figure if I can get that balance like that somewhere in the middle is probably good. Yeah, I did. Like, so when I was at Khan Academy, I learned quite a bit about learning because that's what we did. Um, and what I learned is that the idea of like people being visual learners or like written learners, like that's not really based in science. Like there's some truth to the preferences people have, like people might prefer to learn in a given form factor, but there's not really the efficacy difference. It's like, you know, um, it's not like some people are just much better at learning through video versus through audio. And so I really think it depends on this, the thing that you are teaching, right? Like uh, for a while I was learning Blender, which is 3D illustration software. And it would be very hard to learn that through like a podcast because <laughs> it's a tool for people that don't know it. There's like a million buttons. Like it's a very visual, it's like a, the dashboard of a plane kind of software. Um, and so for that, like you need a video, like you need to see someone, okay, this is the button that I press. This is the keyboard shortcut that I hit. Um, whereas like Gem for your engineering management content, like that's something that like a format like this actually works really well because for something like that, you get the practice in your work. Like, you know, you, 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 you front load the information and then you practice it because it's interpersonal. So you can't really do that on your own. So like there's so much that uh, is dependent on the topic. And that's why, like in my courses, there's five types of content. There's written content with interactive elements. Like it's pretty much my blog. Like if you're familiar with my blog, I have a lot of like embedded stuff and I use the exact same stack which is MDX with Next.js. Um, that's I'd say like the primary, like most lessons have at least some written element with small interactives. Um, there's exercises, which as you might guess, is just practicing the stuff that we're talking about. Although actually I have a thing to talk about there too. I'm going to put a pin in that. Um, there's videos. There is mini games, which is kind of a fun thing. I create these little, you know, uh, we're being charitable when I call them mini games. They're quizzes, but usually the input mechanism is a little bit novel. Like one example in my for my React course is I show you HTML and JSX, but the JSX is incorrect. Like uh, someone has tried to convert the HTML to JSX and they've made a mistake. They didn't change class into class name. And so the two things are presented side by side and it's like a spot the differences game. Like you have to click in the place and if you, get the, if you click the right thing, you get a little circle around it. That, so, you know, it's a quiz, but it's like a slightly more interesting uh, tactile version. Yeah, the pin I wanted to put in something was around... What was it? What did I say I wanted to put a pin in? <laughs> it was around ex exercises in general, which is one yes. I want to ask about anyways. So yes. Yes. And this is another, like, how do you teach to everybody? Um, one of my goals in the course is for the exercises to not merely be practice. Like, you need practice. That's good. Um, but, like, if the lesson is, let me show you how to get from A to B, I want the first exercise to be the same thing but slightly different, and the next exercise to be to get to C. 
Like I want the exercise to go beyond what has been taught uh, because that's where the learning happens, right? Like that's the point of um, like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some of the breadcrumbs. Like we'll, we'll go down the trail together, but at a certain point I'm, I'm disappearing into the woods and you have to finish the journey yourself. Um, a lot of people hate this. <laughs> like I get a lot of feedback, uh, from people that say like, it, you shouldn't be giving, you never showed us how to do this. Like why it's unfair. Um, and it, and I, I, I've since learned that I have to be much more upfront and explicit about this. And like the first video in my course is about having a growth mindset and just like understanding that in this course, there will be times where you will be asked to do something that you haven't been shown how to do. Um, and that can be frustrating and that's not a lot of fun. But the thing to realize is that you learn so much more from trying and failing to do something than you do from blowing through it effortlessly, right? Failure is so much more productive than it feels. And this is a term that I learned, productive failure, which I love. Um, it's not a lot of fun, but it's incredibly valuable. And so that's what I try to like Whenever I have one of these exercises where the feedback is like, I really struggled with this one, I try to add little footnotes like, struggling for this is actually a really good thing. Like, uh, and then another bit of feedback that I really like getting is like, because uh, actually I, I should finish my list. The fifth content type that I have is projects. And those are like, uh, we leave the confines of my course platform and it's either like maybe in Code Sandbox or you download a Git repo and you like solve a bigger, more real world inspired problem. And this is where the feedback I hope to get is like, oh, wow, like this, it came so much more naturally to me than I expected it to because you struggled earlier. Like now you can actually uh, solve those problems. So you're never going to please everybody, I think is how I would answer the question that I have uh, circled or like wandered quite far away from. Um, but the goal is to make sure that the, uh, you choose the format for the thing that you're trying to teach so that it, it sort of makes sense. And you hope that uh, people can actually apply that in their work afterwards. Yeah, that's, a, that's something we come across here on Front and Happy Hour where people are like, well, how come you don't get super tactical? Where the earlier episodes, we, we get super tactical. I remember, uh, I think episode two is like Ben Lesh explaining uh, trampoline scheduling for... for, uh, for uh, Observables. Well, observables, thank you, yeah. And it was like, yeah, but that's not really, it's not easy to understand unless you understand part one, part two, part three, and then we're just going down the weeds. So we've learned to keep it higher level for a podcast because people are probably aren't sitting in front of the computer and they can be like, oh yeah, because uh, you can't understand programming by talking about it. You have to do it just like you said. It is really interesting that like an analogy I've used uh, in the emails that I've sent around my course launches is like, you wouldn't expect if you watched every single instructional skateboarding video that exists, like you can watch them all, right? You can watch Tony Hawk do all of the tricks and you would still expect to fall down if you stand on a skateboard for the first time, right? Like there is a difference between the theoretical understanding of like, oh, so you do this with your ankle and, and then actually like building the muscle memory. And I think we, we have an intuition around that with physical skills, but not so much with like programming, even though I do think it, it very much applies in the same way. Like you have to get practice doing it. You have to build up that experience. Uh, so I think that there is definitely a space uh, for the theory. And I think podcasts like this are great because they allow people, you know, you're on the train, you're driving, you're doing, you know, you, this is the form factor that works for the time that you're, uh, for the activity that you're doing. Uh, and that's the great thing about podcasts is I look forward to doing the dishes now because I have a thing to listen to. But yeah, no, there is uh, definitely a, you know, you need to get some practice in there too. I like to think of like a podcast format as like, it's a good way to introduce something, giving like some of the terms or things to even maybe do a little research on your own after the fact. Like, I think there are definitely topics that maybe lend more to a podcast format, but definitely like that higher level is, is a good nature to kind of get you started. Yeah. Like we're not all jumping on our skateboard and doing like a Tony Hawk 900 just because we watched a bunch <laughs> of uh, videos online. I clearly don't think that's going to work. But yeah, no, I love that. Maybe Josh and Jem, what's been like the most challenging experience you've had or lesson learned from creating a course? I feel like I've been monopolizing. I'm, I'm going to throw this to Jim. Also, that way I have time to think. <laughs> it's always a good way to do it. <laughs> Not at all, Josh. You, you are... Uh... Learn, I, I'm learning a lot too. I've done courses. And I'm like, oh, wow, I've never thought of it in this perspective. So you're not monopolizing at all. For me, it's always the beginning, especially with a new topic where I'm like, hey, I want to do a course on this. They're like, cool. Here's when it's due. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Uh, and then I get there. I'm like, oh, crap. What do I What do? I do? Yeah. <laughs> and to me, like that, that front loading of all the research of like, what should I teach someone takes the longest. And that's sometimes the most challenging, but it's like, 
what do they need to know uh, to get to the end end state? And there's so much you can go into, but trying to distill that down into this, 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 and this uh, to me is like one of the more challenging parts. Uh, another another challenging part is just what you're talking about, Josh, which is the handoff. I believe in that too. I don't believe in step one, step two, step three, step four. Yeah, you start people there, but eventually it's like, here's step one, here's step 10. You have to figure out how to get there. And I, I truly believe that's the best way to learn, not just watching someone or listening to them. Uh, but figuring out when that is and making sure they they have the knowledge to close that gap is is like one of the most challenging parts. Um, lessons learned have been uh, not doing due diligence. Like Josh said, he he sends out the course to some beta users, gets back their common questions and addresses those. That's something you have to do because people will get stuck on things you're like, it's so simple, but they will get stuck on it. So I've made that mistake before. I've been like, oh, it's so obvious, blah, 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 blah. So overestimating where people are coming from and under, and not establishing a good baseline of knowledge first and then moving on is like one of the the lessons I've learned early on. And seeing people get stuck on like step one or step two is just so dejecting as an instructor because you're like, oh man, there's so much good stuff here and it's it's really basic. So that's something I've learned over the years is get a good baseline. Don't assume anything about someone's knowledge. Uh, assume they know nothing and build up from there. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I do think it's, uh, this is also, I think, maybe not the most, this would definitely be like among the top challenges is figuring out how much knowledge to assume. Because it's true in a workshop setting, like if you're there in person, you can rewind as much as necessary. But in a self-paced course, you don't really want to do that because a lot of people, this is something that frustrates me, is people will uh, request a refund and they'll say, the course is so basic, I thought it would be more advanced. And you check their activity and they looked at the first three lessons. And it's like, well, there is advanced content. <laughs> it's just the other, you know, the 75 lessons after that where we build up to more advanced things. Yeah, so that, that's one of the most challenging things is just like understanding that uh, you need to find some amount of assumed knowledge. Other, like unless you're building like really like just the intro to programming course, like in that case, it, you know, for self-paced content, you can start right at the beginning. But for my courses, I do assume that you have some knowledge and figuring out how much to assume the other thing that I think is um, much more challenging than I expected, uh, and I wish I could remember who said this because it, it really stuck with me. It's more like one of those quotes. Um, it was a conference talk about how to give conference talks. And the point, the speaker, and maybe someone, uh, if either of you happen to remember who this was, please let me know, um, said that it's more important to be entertaining than to be educational. Like that is your number one job. Because I think we've all seen conference talks where they are information packed, right? Like it's the most like educational TypeScript talk ever. And you're on your laptop, like looking at Twitter because like, it's just, it doesn't hold your interest. And so it doesn't matter how high quality the content is. If you're not gripping the person It's you know, it's, I think we all have shortened attention spans. And so in a lot of my courses, I'll try to do things that are like a little bit quirky or a little bit strange or like, you know, that, that's another reason to have the different content types is you're constantly mixing up what the person is doing. So it's not just like video after video after video. Um, and like examples, right? Like coming up with interesting examples where it's not just a to-do list app over and over and over. Like, in fact, in my course, in my React course, uh, we do have a to-do list app, but it's in module five. And I make a point, like we made it all this way without a to-do list application. Like we were going to have to have one eventually, but it's pretty good that we made it this far without one. There's six modules in the course. So that's most of the way there. We all have learned from some to-do app at some point in time. That's just like, that is the given. I love that you call that out. Um, <laughs> I'd be curious from both of you too, is how do you measure success for a course? Like, how do you know that you've done a good job? Like Josh, I think alluding to some of the like iterative approaches of like, oh, I need to tweak this and make it better. I've gotten feedback to help people. But overall, like when you take a step back, like how do you know that that's actually been successful? It is really hard, uh, especially like I think in a workshop setting, it's a little bit easier because you get a sense like when you're working with somebody, like in the workshops that I've given, the way that I would do it is I would be up at the front and I would say, okay, well, this is, you know, we all start from the same starter code and I'll start us off and we'll say, okay, this is the problem. One of the workshops I gave was about how to do confetti in the browser, like render some live animating and we use a physics library. And so, you know, like I, I, I do the first bit and then I say, okay, here's some ideas to make it a little bit more creative. You can rotate, you can do this. And then I wander around and I like look over people's shoulders and it probably makes them pretty uncomfortable, but you do get a sense of like, 
are, have I had an impact? Like, are they, do I see the gears turning? Do I see like they're doing interesting, interesting things? And some of them, absolutely. Like some students, you, you get that result and it's really satisfying. Other students are still just like, you can tell like they, they lost you 10 minutes ago and you have to like, and that's where it's great with live workshops is you can sit with them and be like, okay, okay. Yeah. This is what I meant when I said that. And you know, you, like Jim was saying, you rewind a little bit and you realize, oh yeah, like you, I'm, this is how you define a variable in JavaScript. I never told you that. So like, yeah, that's definitely uh, in workshops. For self-paced courses, it's challenging because you're not there. And the completion rates for self-paced courses are terrible. Like for a long time, I didn't even look at the numbers because I was uh, too scared to look at the numbers. And I still honestly couldn't tell you. I do know that uh, I offer a certificate of completion and I think you need 80%, 70 or 80% of the course. Um, and something like 20% of people who buy my course will reach that point, uh, which you can look at that and think, well, that's kind of, you know, that's not great. Um, but I've heard from so many people who said, like, I only did the first module and it helped so, so much. Um, and so, like, ultimately, someone might only get through 5% of your course. But if that 5% provided a ton of value to them, well, that's not a bad. And that's actually what I've noticed a lot of students do is they go through, like, one module. Like, they'll buy the course. There's one part they're interested in. They know this stuff before. They don't care about the stuff after. But, like, this is what they're interested in. So completion rates, I think, is not the right metric to use because there's so many ways to interpret what it means to have 25% completion. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely tricky. I think, like, user feedback is another, like, just the fact that uh, you hear from people who have told you that, like, this is the result that, you know, I, I did really well in a job interview that I don't think I could have done as well had I not gone through your course. Like, that's always really nice. But obviously, it's qual it's like uh, anecdotal. Like, you can't, it's hard to know at scale and like to what percentage you're having the impact you're hoping. Yeah, I think with uh, like, I'll, I'll talk primarily about my full stack workshop. The end, the end result is you have a, a web page, uh, your own website running on your own domain connected to your own server. And I, if you get that, I'm happy because uh, that that means like it, it's it's kind of it seems relatively simple, but the steps to get there, coming from a front end perspective where you didn't know how any of this stuff works and now you do, to me is really satisfying. And I, I always hope people get to that end. Uh, and I, I love when they share that with me on Twitter in person, whatever. Like, hey, I made a website, Jim, check it out. I'm like, cool, because that just tells me like you you made it to the end, or at least you picked up enough knowledge along the way to to like have this new skill set you didn't have before. So that's really satisfying. Same, same as, as Josh. Yeah, most people probably won't finish. Nothing you can do about that. But hopefully down the road, you know, I could see I could see the impact. And that's one of my favorite things is like years, years down the road. So it's like, oh, hey, Jim. Yeah, I really loved your workshop. It helped me get a new job or I actually changed careers because of it. And that to me is the, my favorite kind of uh, feedback. When I'm like, okay, that makes it all worthwhile. Like, absolutely. You take what you can get and uh, you hope it lands. I, I really like that you both called out that completion rate piece of it too. And I think it just made me think about maybe not getting too hung up on some of the metrics, right? Like is some of that qualitative feedback and people telling you that that was actually beneficial and helped them in some form. I think that's that's so valuable to just know that, but also not get too hung up on that completion rate. Because Josh, like you said, it's like they, they came for the one piece that they really wanted to go deep on. You know, like I think about this is helpful for me thinking even for the the management course that Jem and I are putting together is there's like Jem is covering the management 101 and I'm covering 102. And you might come for more of the 101 or you might come for more of the 102 or you might just come for like a very specific thing where it's like maybe it's covering how to do proper one-on-ones as a manager or how to hire effectively. And that's great, right? Like that's actually, you've taught someone something. They took away some set of it. I think I've even said sometimes when I see someone give a presentation or even people who are scared to speak at a conference because they're like, ah, everybody knows this topic. I've There's, you know, 10 other React talks. And I'm like, yeah, the audience might know React, but if they can take away one little snippet of like something interesting or a approach that you took differently than someone else that to me that's a success right there because you taught someone something and and that's you're not going to say the whole course was perfect for someone so I, I really like that you called that out because i would be a little worried too to get hung up on that actual real data and you might you might stop you might make the workshops shorter or you know reduce something in it that could be very valuable to someone so good call out 
Maybe as we're diving into picks, I think this, honestly, there's so much valuable information. I'm like taking notes because I'm like, yes, this is so helpful for me. But, you know, what's one piece of advice that you both would leave our listeners with if they're like, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to start a course on said topic. You know, what's a piece of advice that you'd say to just to help them out? Oh, goodness. I have so many. <laughs> you could rapid fire some too, Josh. That's always good too. Yeah. I, so the, the biggest thing that I think helped me was having in-person teaching experience, right? I got a job at a local coding bootcamp. I spent two years as like a TA where people would come to me with questions about the curriculum. And then I also built their React curriculum and let it, when I was the instructor for one of the cohorts. Obviously, that's not like mandatory and that's maybe not realistic for a bunch of people. But that is so good at just giving you the fundamentals of how to teach. Because, Ryan, you said this earlier, like it's a skill. Like learning, uh, knowing how to teach something is like you can be in, I think we've all seen people like this who they are amazing at their craft and terrible at teaching it or explaining it. So that's the, the like any sort of synchronous practice, whether in person or remote. If you can get that, you can do a workshop, do a free workshop, right? Make advertise to like just try to get people in for free. Um, the other thing I would say is like, if your goal is to create the course as a means of providing significant income, right? Whether that's, you want to do this full time, you want to have it be like, you know, to cover your rent or your mortgage. Like if the goal is to make money with it, then the course should not be the first thing you do. The first thing you should do should be to build an audience. Like you should start a YouTube channel, start a blog, be more active on social media, like give people a sense of what they're getting with you and provide a bunch of value up front so that when you do finish, the, you release your course. People are like, oh, yeah, I've seen that person. I've seen their content. They're, they helped me understand something in the past. They're willing to give you that chance because I've seen so many people. Their first step is they create a course and they put so much work into it and they release it to their 17 people and like they're a couple of their friends buy it. And it could be amazing. But like you haven't really given anyone a reason to trust that you are the person to learn this thing from. And, you know, Ryan, like you were saying, there's already so much, you know, like you search React on Udemy, there's 417 courses, like there's still space. Like I made a React course this year, <laughs> which like, you know, there's, there was certainly no shortage before mine, but you can do that if you've given people an opportunity to try your content and see, you know, just get a sense of your teaching style. Yeah, that, that's fantastic advice. Yeah. And, and plus one on the uh, find the audience first and then build the course because yeah, uh, even, uh, even workshops that I do, uh, those are hundred plus hours, uh, which is, it, it's so, and I, I know the material and it still takes that long to put it together. And it, it one, uh, I'd say one piece of advice, it will take longer than you think. You're like, oh, I know this stuff. But when you have to explain it and then you have to like break it down to fundamentals and you're like, I don't know these fundamentals. Then you have to learn that yourself. Uh, it will take longer than you think, especially your first one. I, I guess second, second piece of advice would be, yeah, do it. I really think teaching is the, the best way to learn something. So everybody should do that. Even if it's, in your company, something small, just a couple of your peers, you're like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about teaching a two-hour workshop on Apollo and GraphQL. People will really appreciate that. And it gives you a skill in explaining things simply. One of the traits I noticed of really good software engineers, like uh, staff, principal, and beyond, they can explain really complex things very simply. And that is a skill that is totally underappreciated in our industry. Uh, it's easy to throw a bunch of keywords and, and things at people. And people are like, oh, yeah, I think they're pretty smart. But if you can explain a, a really complex topic really simply, it, it gets people a lot farther than you throwing a bunch of uh, fancy words and software jargon at them. So yeah, I, I highly encourage everybody to tr take their crack at teaching. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. Uh, it is a valuable skill for you. I like that you called that out, Jem, is like, I think there's opportunities too. like, we're talking a lot on these like, you know, scale, like large scale online courses, workshops at a conference, but you can in your company or in your team, it, just a peer or mentorship, all those little things is actually getting you exposed to some of that teaching. You know, hearing you all talk, I haven't done the large workshop or online course, but I'm like, yeah, I've done those like peer to peer mentoring or maybe in a smaller group, I'm teaching something. And I think that has helped me feel more comfortable to do something larger. I think another piece of advice I would provide is have a friend like Jem who makes you do it. That, that somehow works. So yeah, just find that someone to hold you accountable. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to share picks of things that we found interesting, want to share with all of you. Some of them might be related to the topic, some may not. Jem, do you want to start us off? Yeah. Uh, so I have two picks today. The first one is a movie film on Netflix called Extraction, which, well, Extraction 2. 
And I, I really like these because they're they're like such what's the best way of describing it? Not hardcore action movies, because I guess they are pretty hardcore, but not in terms of like over the top, whatever. It's just like the the action sequences are choreographed so well that they flow together in such a way that they they are they border on unbelievable, but because they're so well done, you're you just go with it. Um uh, and extraction two, I just this the sequences are just incredible. I, I don't know how they how they put it all together. It, uh, I don't know. I I really should do more research to like what sort of genre this is, but I'm really happy this genre of action movie exists because it, it's like not too heavy on the emotion. It's not overly gratuitously violent. I guess it is, but the the sequences are, yeah, pretty pretty stunning. I, I highly recommend Extraction One and Two. They're just great action. My second pick is the Valley Silicon pick for those who's ever listened to the show. Valley Silicon is the part of the the podcast where I pick things that are crazy or ridiculously expensive and only exist because we here in uh, tech in Silicon Valley get paid too much money. This one is actually courtesy of Ryan Burgess. I won't question why he was looking at this, but uh, so I'll ask you, Josh, because Ryan already knows what this. You, you're familiar with electric scooters? Yes. Actually, wait, do you mean the, like the motor, the mini motorcycles or the like assistive wheelchair type? Like what, which variant of scooter or the like kickstand, like the one where you kick? Like a skateboard with a handle. Yeah, more a uh, skateboard with a handle type. Uh, okay. You know, like the, I, I can't remember any of the companies that came and went already out of business. But, you know, remember when scooters were going to take over the world, revolutionize? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that didn't happen. Uh, that kind of scooter. So how much would, would you be willing to pay for one? Oh, uh, goodness. So I did buy one of them. Uh, and I think I paid $600 for it a few years ago. Uh, and that was my limit. Well, you know, now that you're a successful uh, course course creator. Um, <laughs> can I interest you in the Bugatti scooter? It retails for a very reasonable price of uh, $1,600. Wow. But the colors are just fantastic. I don't know what differentiates this between any other type of scooter. but <laughs> And I don't, I don't know if anybody's going to be rolling in the street. Someone's like, oh, is that a Bugatti scooter? <laughs> uh, but you never know. Uh, people, people have to um, you know, represent for their wealth. I, I don't know. But if you're interested in, you know, I sent you the link there. Uh, send me a picture of you rolling down the street. That would that would be great. <laughs> and those are my picks. You know what, Jim? I didn't go looking for this. I will say it was an Instagram ad, and I'm like, well, why does this even exist? But hey, it does. Uh, so I obviously sent it your way. Uh huh. No, no judgment. No judgment. Oh yeah, <laughs> Josh. Uh, what picks do you have for us? Yeah. So I'm gonna go with two different book picks uh one on topic one not the book pick is called make it stick and it is by let me see if i actually there's uh, several names on the back of this brown rodiger and mcdaniel and it's a book all about the science of like how to teach something and it turns out that it's uh it's the best like distillation of a bunch of things i've learned from a bunch of sources i think the main point of the book like the thing that keeps coming up is that we're really bad at knowing what effective learning is. Like something can feel really effective and it's not, and something can feel, this gets back to a little bit like what we were talking about earlier, like struggling does not feel particularly effective, uh, but it is. And so if you're looking to learn more about like the science of how to teach something or how we learn, uh, make it stick, fantastic book. Um, fiction wise, and uh, Jem, you were talking about like, I love the like trying to identify the, the niche genre, the name of the niche genre, because I have an author that I like called Becky Chambers. And she writes what I would describe as like cozy slice of life science fiction, where like it's science fiction. So like it's in space and it's in the future and there's, you know, different species. But it's not like the epic adventure, the Star Wars take over the universe type thing. It's just like, oh, there's a group of people and they have interpersonal issues on their trip. And like the story, like her debut novel is called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And like in this universe, you have these ships that have to, there's portals, but the ship has to go there first to put the portal there. And so you have to travel for like months to get to the place to put the portal. And like they, they you get into like interpersonal issues because they're different species and they have different cultures. And uh, it's, it's just like amazing. It's so cozy and fun and nice. And everything Becky Chambers writes, you just feel good reading it. So absolutely, if you're looking for some, uh, some not too thrilling science fiction, it's, it's kind of the opposite <laughs> of what Jem was describing. I love those genre things too, because it reminded me clearly with the word cozy that I learned about, I think it was the last week or two, Netflix is doing a lot with games and 
I had heard of something called cozy games. And so there's like a genre of games called cozy games. I'm sure there's more gamers out there that know more than me, obviously. Uh, but I had first heard them like, what the hell is that? And so it sparked interest in me to be like trying to understand what is that genre. So that was kind of interesting. And Make It Stick, Josh, I read many years ago. It is a good one. For this episode, I have two picks totally unrelated to the topic. But my first one is a burger restaurant in San Francisco that I it's been there forever. Like it's it's definitely an old uh, restaurant, but I had never tried it. And I ate there last weekend. It's called Beeps Burgers. It is so good. I would say it has it was one of the best burgers I've had in a really, really long time. So I'm probably going to have to go back there. But yes, I highly re- recommend checking that one out. And then uh, I have another podcast that I'm going to recommend, an actual specific episode. Uh, the podcast is called The Pitch, which is it's essentially like a Shark Tank podcast, like where people are entrepreneurs are pitching something. And so I've listened to it from time to time. And so I'm listening to it the one day and driving along. I think I was taking my son to school and there's this company, Kimoyo. It's a platform for helping with user testing specifically in Africa. So like really hitting that market. And so I'm hearing this woman talk and I was like, this voice, man, I know this woman sounds, sounds so familiar. And I, I come to find out it is a designer that I've worked with at Netflix for many years. And she'd, you know, left Netflix and has since gone on to do this startup. So it was really cool to hear Miriam on the podcast talking. And it didn't click for me until I, you know, had to like look her up and I was like, oh my God, it was the voice that reminded me it was really cool uh but she did an amazing job pitching her uh, startup and so i i highly recommend checking that out josh thank you so much for joining us on this episode it's been so amazing having you on i've learned a ton thank you for sharing your knowledge people are interested in following you getting in touch with you you know checking out your online courses where can they get in touch with you yeah so uh the home base for all that i do is my website joshwcomo.com my last name is french which means it's spelled in a bafflingly confusing way c-o-m-e-a-u um you can learn about my courses css for javascript developers and the joy of react and i'm also on twitter uh, which i will call it twitter until the very end of the platform uh josh w como there as well and yeah i really appreciate you having me on the pleasures all on this side of the table uh thanks so much thanks so much for coming on we've we've thoroughly enjoyed it as well thank you all for listening you can find us on twitter at frontnhh frontendhappyhour.com. Please subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. Also, leave us reviews. Let us know how we're doing. That qualitative feedback goes a long way. So please, please let us know how we're doing and how we can improve or what you like about the show. Any last words? Teaching? I don't think we said the word teaching. Why? <laughs> that's true. What Our the heck? Word. Full time? Wow. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, that's, Cheers. That's great.